This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Draft Lab knows that quality and consistency are your brewery's top priorities. DraftLab provides easy-to-use sensory analysis tools designed to bring your tasting data into action. To start your free two-week trial today, visit DraftLab.com. That's D-R-A-U-G-H-T Lab.com. Does dry hopping inoculate your beer with beer-spoiling bacteria? This week on the show, our friends at Shiner set out to better understand the microbiological impact of dry hopping. Hi, my name is Laura Hill, and I'm the QA manager at Spetzel Brewery. Hi, my name is Eileen Quinn, and I'm the assistant QA manager at Spetzel Brewery. Laura, you asked yourself a question that a lot of brewers have wondered over the years. What was that? So we were starting to do a lot more dry hopped beers. That's definitely a huge trend with IPAs, especially these East Coast style IPAs that have a really strong dry hopping flavor. So doing that, you know, you're taking all of these steps to keep your beers really clean. And then when you're dry hopping, you're adding in an untreated uh, agricultural product back into the beer. So I was wondering if we're doing ourselves a disservice Um, and actually adding contamination in intentionally to our beers. So that's kind of what started this. For those who maybe have never considered that risk, why don't you explain where the concern comes from, really? So hops being a a harvested uh, material from the fields, uh, whenever you're outside with any kind of agricultural materials, you've got a whole host of native microflora that are present in the soil, present in the plants, um, and especially with kind of a hop cone or a flower, you have a lot of places for bacteria to potentially harbor that's protecting them from the elements and providing them with a lot of nutrients. Um, And it's moist, it's um, got plenty of air and and other nutrients for them to thrive on. Uh, And then when they're harvested, uh, the hop harvesters, they're not really doing any kind of a kill step. So if you harvest an apple from the field, they're usually getting a chlorine wash um, or they're being irradiated or pressure treated, something to kill all of those bacteria that are present in the fields. But with hops, that doesn't happen. Um, And so they they are processed and dried or pelletized, but it's never a very intense heat because we want to preserve all of those flavors and those alpha acids. So we we get the flavors and we preserve those, but we're not killing any of the microflora that's present necessarily. 
So it's widely known that hops have this antimicrobial effect, but there hasn't really been a ton of research on this subject. Tell us what we know about what hops do to microorganisms. So most of the research has really been focused on lactic acid bacteria. Uh, those are kind of uh, the hot organism for brewers since it gives you those sour off notes and can really destroy your beer. And so the hot alpha acids and some of the other hot components um, like the beta acids as well uh, have been shown to inhibit or even kill uh, bacteria, especially lactic acid bacteria. So it's usually having to do with the membrane of the bacteria. It interrupts that um, membrane and it causes the cell to burst or simply just inhibits the growth because it's trying to uh, kind of protect itself from that um, antimicrobial compounds that's in the, the beer or the wort. So we've had some good uh, protection. The, the issue is we dissolve a lot of those alpha acids into the beer during boiling. Um, they're not as soluble in beer at cooler temp- temperatures. So we don't, I didn't know how much of the alpha acids or some of those antimicrobials we could actually get during the dry hopping process. Is, is alpha acid the primary component that's responsible for that antimicrobial effect or are there other parts of the hop that are, that are having that same effect? There are other parts of the hop that are that people think are having that effect as well, but alpha acids are and beta acids are the ones that have been studied the most thoroughly um, from what I've found. But definitely, I think some of the other essential oils um, and terpenes could also be having some of those antimicrobial impacts. Do hops have this effect on all types of bacteria or just some? They're more effective towards gram-positive bacteria. It has to do with that. Uh, cell membrane uh, since the oils are and the alpha acids are acting on the membrane itself uh, the different structure between a gram negative versus a gram positive bacteria makes the gram positive bacteria more susceptible to inhibition uh, by these types of uh, compounds the other question you asked was does dry hopping transfer antimicrobial properties to beer Talk about that. So in the hops, as we boil them, we're extracting a lot of the antimicrobial compounds. But when we're dry hopping, we're adding it in at cooler temperatures. So more like in the 60s or 70s Fahrenheit, uh, you're not getting as much extraction of compounds, um, especially those alpha acids out of the hops. And you're not isomerizing those compounds. Um, And so those haven't been shown thus far to be as effective, mostly because they're less soluble in beer or water. Uh, So I was wondering, though, if the presence of all of that hop at such a high concentration could still have an antimicrobial impact in the beer, especially since when we've dry hopped beers, we haven't seen a higher level of contamination in our beers that are dry hopped. So tell us how you set out to answer those questions. So the first part of the question was what bacteria are present on the hops themselves before they go into the beer. So to look at that, we wanted to only look at the hops. So we placed hops in uh, peptone water. Uh, We use peptone water purely just to make a a more favorable environment for the bacteria. They like it a little bit better. It's a better osmotic pressure than water. 
Um, and we put those into the peptone and we made kind of a hot tea. Uh, we didn't heat it or anything. We kept it at the same temperature that you would dry hop at. So for us, that's about 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, and then we incubated those and we tested them at day zero, which is the day that we added the hops into the peptone. And then at day one, the following day, day four and day seven, since it's usually got about a week of contact time in a fermenter. Uh, and so we plated those um, samples onto um, UBA media that had actodione in it because we were trying to suppress any yeast growth. We really just were focused on bacteria for this study since those are our primary spoilers uh, here at our brewery. But looking at wild yeast would definitely be something we'd like to look into in the future. And for folks who don't uh, hang out in the lab as much as you do, um, <laughs> the UBA is universal beer agar and the uh, actodione is, uh, th that's the same thing as the cyclohexamide, right? That's going to um, inhibit uh, the growth of yeast and, and molds, I believe, right? So it inhibits uh, yeast and mold, um, and it's just basically an, an antibiotic that we can add to the, the media. Coming up. If I already had a dirty beer in the cellars and I added dry hops, would it make it worse or would it make it better? I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Barna Mechanical, a full-service design-build firm specializing in turnkey process and utility systems for the brewing industry. We partner with some of the best craft brewers in the U.S. to ensure the great beer they brew is what their customers get in every glass, bottle, can, or keg. You know beer. We know breweries. Additional support provided by... ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, tri-clamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. The first weekend in November is a real trilemma for vendor reps. District Mid-Atlantic meets at DC Brow. District Mid-South meets at New Realm in Atlanta. And District Southern California meets at Anheuser-Busch in Los Angeles. The following week is busy in Canada with the Ontario Craft Brewers Conference November 7th and 8th. And District Eastern Canada in, Mon in Montreal also on the 8th. District St. Paul, Minneapolis meets November 8th at Bad Weather Brewing in St. Paul. Also on the 8th, District Northern California is at Urban Roots Brewing and Smokehouse in Sacramento. The brand new District Northern Illinois is holding its inaugural meeting at Goose Island in Chicago, November 9th. Or if you're on the East Coast, I bet my buddy John Clegg wants to buy you a beer at District New England's fall meeting at Sebago Brewing on the same day. Just when you thought November couldn't get any busier, there's a HACCP course and a district meeting in Ontario on November 13th and 14th, and districts Milwaukee and St. Louis both meet November 15th. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. Hello. 
How about your dry hopping rates? How heavily hopped were these teas? We tried two different dosages. Um, we tried one pound per barrel and two pounds per barrel. Uh, we wanted to keep it in the per barrel increments, just since that's how most people are uh, aliquoting their dry hopping rates uh, versus grams per milliliter or anything like that, even though we were working on a very small uh, benchtop scale. And for us, we wanted to start kind of on the lower end because we didn't we didn't want to stack the deck and overload with hops and and kind of push to the limits of what you could see in a more extreme case makes sense do you want to talk about the results from the teas first or would you rather talk about the rest of the what the how you laid out the rest of the experiment and talk about all the results at the end i guess we can talk about the teas first since it's kind of two different experiments yeah let's do that so in those hop teas, we were really just making a really hospitable, nice environment for any potential bacteria to grow. Uh, and, and what we saw was really only uh, gram-negative catalase-positive bacteria. So no lactic acid bacteria, no pediococcus, uh, nothing like that. Uh, we can't do uh, kind of fingerprinting of bacteria in our lab at the moment. So our best guess is that it's kind of in the enterobacter family. So um, most of these bacteria aren't really a big concern in beer because they don't like being in anaerobic environments and they don't like being uh, with alcohol or a lower pH. So this was kind of comforting. So there was definitely a lot of bacteria uh, we got up to uh, counts in the 10 to the 8th by day 7. But again, if it's not something that can or likes to grow in beer, it's not a huge concern from a spoilage standpoint. All right. Well, let's move on to the beer. Eileen, you want to tell us about the beer trials? So our beer trials were a little bit different than the teas, obviously. So we wanted to come in with a beer that was mild in alcohol and an approachable original gravity. That way we wouldn't be stacking the deck, I guess, in the favor of the alcohol limiting growth. So we collected some unhopped wort and we fermented it out and inoculated with um, kind of a a wild culture out of one of our our barrels in house. And so with those beers, we did the same one pound and two pound dosing rate. And the results off of those were, I think, pretty interesting. You could see that um, same as the hop teas, we saw a lot of gram-negative rods, catalase positive. Um, We still had that pellicle formation at the top of the beer, so you could see that there was growth. Additionally, um, the whole cone seemed to have a little higher contamination rate um, than we saw with the pellets. Tell me a bit more about the, you know, you contaminate half of the beer with this mixed culture. why, you know, what was the, what did you really want to understand there? What was the purpose of that? So we contaminated half of the beer. So we also dry hopped the uncontaminated beer uh, to see what would grow in there. And then we contaminated the beer to see if um, the hops, the dry hopping would actually inhibit the growth of an already contaminated beer. So the goal was kind of to see if I already had a dirty beer in the cellars and I added dry hops, would it it make it worse or would it make it better? Okay, great. That makes perfect sense. Um, Okay. So 
You found that pellets introduce significantly higher levels of contamination versus whole cones. Uh, I remember from your presentation at the Brewing Summit that someone, I, I believe from Hopsteiner, found the opposite mm -hmm. to be true. Do you, do you have any more insight on what's going on in regards to pellets versus cones? Yeah, that's definitely why we want to do more experiments on this, because since this was sort of our first study, um, we didn't have as much control over the handling of the hops before they got to us. So I can't say with 100% certainty that the pellet hops were handled with as much care as they should have been. Um, was the bag you know, sampled from sterile or was kind of more contamination introduced into those pellet hops before they even got to the lab uh, versus the whole cone hops, if that had been taken from a fresh bag um, and, and handled with a lot more care. So that's why we're, we're wanting to do some more studies with hop samples that are coming just to the lab, aren't being used for anything in production here. Um, so we can really control how they're treated once they leave the hop farm and the hop processing facility. Sounds good. You found that a 5%, almost 4.5 pH beer could suppress microorganisms present on hops for seven days of dry hop contact. I know you want, want to repeat this in, uh, I know you wanted to repeat this in different ethanol and pH ranges as well as at higher dry hopping rates. Have you had a chance to do any of that yet? We have not done that work yet. Um, that is definitely in the, the future. So far, we've just worked with some uh, fresh wet hops that we got this season because we were making a wet hopped beer. So we kind of, while we had an opportunity, wanted to test those. So that kind of got pushed to the, the front of the line of our experiment. That sounds interesting. Tell us about that. What'd you find out? So we found out, uh, I was kind of hoping to see a little bit different microflora on the fresh hops that hadn't been dried or processed, but we really saw almost identical types of microorganisms present on those uh, wet hops. So they were Amarillo hops. Uh, they were harvested and then brought down, trucked down to us uh, as fast as possible. And we just grabbed a sample uh, as soon as they got here and made some more hop teas to see what kind of microorganisms we would see there. And it was kind of the same story. So gram negative, catalase positive, uh, and very, very high loads. So we had 10 to the 8 colonies uh, per milliliter by the end of seven days again. And I would add on that for for the colonies we found with the, the fresh hop, it was kind of a wider range of gram-negative microflora. But considering what we have available in the lab, we're only typing down to just gram-negative, gram-positive. Okay, cool. In your trials, pellets suppressed microbial growth more in contaminated beer. Why do you think that was? I think that was just because of the packaging and the nature of the pelletizing operation. Um, so we were using T90 pellets, so it does concentrate some of those antimicrobial components of the hops a little bit more, and you're getting rid of some of the vegetative material that maybe doesn't contribute any antimicrobial properties. Uh, so the same weight of a whole cone hop versus a pellet hop, you have a higher concentration of those uh, really strong antimicrobials in the pellets versus the whole cones. And additionally, with the 
um, pelletizing of the hops, you have increased surface area and dispersion when those pellet hops go into solution versus the whole cone where you have a condensed structure that your solution has to pass through to extract the hop compounds. I know you also want to look at the antimicrobial impact of hop extracts used in finishing to, you know, instead of dry hopping. Do you know if, uh, if any of the major hop vendors have done any work in that area yet? I haven't seen any from hop vendors, but it's actually been looked at some in the food industry and pharmaceuticals of using um, the hop isolated compounds, not necessarily just the extracts to have antimicrobial impacts uh, for foods and, and pharmaceuticals. And what, uh, what have they seen there so far? Has that been effective? It's been very effective. Uh, the, the issue with food is always separating the flavor component. So how do you apply an, a natural antimicrobial that brings its own flavors and aromas to, say, a bag of spinach if it's going to add a hop flavor, hop characteristic to it. Um, so in the past, I've looked at some encapsulating technologies in pest life uh, to kind of separate the antimicrobial properties from the flavor. Uh, and it's still kind of not that far along in, in the studies. They haven't found a really good way to have it releasing the antimicrobial properties without also adding and changing the flavor of the food product. Got it. So what's next? So we'll just continue doing a lot of experiments on several different hop varietals and repeating essentially the same um, experimental design of the hop, hop tea and then the clean beer and then the contaminated beer to look at both the microflora on the hops to see if there are any differences based on varietal and also looking at uh, the antimicrobial impact in the beer. I think one other thing that eventually we'd like to add to the experimental work if we have access to it is looking at the differences in the alpha acid concentrations from the hops to the beer. Uh, if that shows a direct correlation with how much antimicrobial impact you see in the uh, growth on the plates. <laughs> was Laura Hill and Eileen Quinn from Shiner here on the Master Brewers Podcast. This work was presented just a few months ago at the Brewing Summit in San Diego. If you'd like to learn more about this study, flip through the slides. For only $89, you can have access to this presentation and all of the other amazing work that was presented at the 2018 Brewing Summit. Master Brewers members even get a discount. Go to mbaa.com store, then click on Conference Proceedings. Come down Hey, remember the Belgian beer book that Sten Mertens and Jan Stensels talked about on episode 101, The Yeasts of Tomorrow? Well, great news. It's now available in the Master Brewers bookstore. Just go to mbaa.com store and type Belgian beer into the search bar to get your copy today. Just like that one day when we came around there Since there's that one thing that I should have told you Or maybe two things that you should have known